0: Welcome to the Speech Uncensored Podcast. I'm Leanne, and today I'm sitting down with George Barnes and Allie Boyer, and we're talking about FEES, fiber optic Endoscopic Evaluation of Swallowing, which I'm really glad they shortened to FEES. So I didn't have to say that every time. So what part of FEES are we talking about today? We're gonna be talking about the importance and the role that it has in shaping our practice and how we treat dysphagia. And when we're in settings where we don't have access to instrumentals, how we can get it. Is that about right guys? Did I summarize it? Absolutely.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Okay good. So let's welcome George and Allie and we're going to start with George doing our introduction. So George tell me a little bit about you. Who are you? Where are you? What do you do?
1: (laughs) So my name's George. I actually just recently moved to Maplewood which is a suburb in New Jersey right outside New York City. And what I do mostly and what I'm most proud of is I am a co-owner of Feasible Swallow Solutions, a mobile fees company that services the New Jersey and New York area. I also work per diem in a few different healthcare settings, acute care, a critical illness recovery hospital, and acute rehab. Besides that, I do run an Instagram account called DysphagiaDude. And I run our blog called The Scope on our website. Both of those are focused on trying to go beyond what we normally think of as traditional uh, speech pathology and dysphagia management and sort of make it a little bit fun and make it a little bit interesting for people.
0: Excellent. Okay. So it's confession time, George. So on your Instagram account, your little icon... Okay, this is embarrassing, but like for the longest time, I thought his top hat, like it's a little mini top hat, yeah. I thought it was a bun, <laughs> like a man bun. And I was just like so confused. I was like, okay, you do you boo. And then I finally like saw it and I was like, oh, it's, a hat. it's a hat. Wait, it is a hat, right? It
1: is a hat. It's a top hat. <gasps> okay. It's the little emoji top hat from Apple. So yeah, that's that's all um, it is. It's see? just that little emoji. Just kind of made it that's a why bit, a little bit bigger, yeah.
0: Because I'm Android, so that just went well over my head. I'm sure everybody else got it because everybody else in the world is Apple, <laughs> and I'm like the lone wolf in Android world. So
2: Man. that made my night. That's so funny. <laughs> 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 it's really hard to follow both George's introduction and that little quip, Leah. That was hysterical. Okay. So, but I'll try. <laughs> My name is Ali Boyer. I'm a speech pathologist and I practice in acute care and inpatient rehab. And I'm also the co-owner of Feasible Swallow Solutions. Same, George. That is also what I'm most proud of. I just, I love going into these buildings and getting to do what we are able to do every day and helping our patients and educating also. So those are my two passions. It's just helping people be able to eat whatever the heck they want, whenever they want, you know, as possible, and also educating our colleagues. So that's me.
0: Excellent. In our little chat before we started recording, I had this like pressing question. It was so important to me. So while it's still top of mind, I'm just going to jump in and ask it real quick. So when I think of mobile fees, Companies and the people who provide that service. I just imagine that they work in skilled nursing facilities and SNFs. Like that is all they contract with. That is all. That's the only place they do. Is that correct?
1: So no, it's not correct. But mobile fees companies tend to gravitate towards nursing homes, and I think that's because you have a a demographic that really needs the services. And it tends to be difficult to send those types of patients out to the hospital, which we'll we'll definitely address in this podcast. We want to talk about all of the, the benefits of doing fees, but you you can do mobile fees literally anywhere. You can even do it in the home, which um, a lot of states do. N- New York does that. Um, New Jersey, the laws are a little bit more strict, so they don't allow that, but. We have clients that are uh, assisted living facilities, nursing homes, um, and we even have a contract in an uh, outpatient uh, gastroenterology office. Okay.
2: Uh, As a side note, just as an example, you know, without giving any patient information, this gastroenterologist who we work for is absolutely fantastic. And he's a huge advocate for speech pathology services. And one of the, the... people who I saw recently um, in his office. It was a prophylactic enteral feeding case. So this gastroenterologist was so excited about what information we could provide to this patient that he recommended that we you know, come in as a baseline. I won't talk about the diagnosis or anything like that, but come in as a baseline and offer that information so that we can provide the patient with the information on whether to move forward with enteral feeding or to stick with oral feeding. And just the level of support that we get when we go to these different levels of care is just fantastic so it's not it's not only nursing homes although that is the predominant patient population but we're lucky to service multiple areas yeah
0: i love that example thanks for sharing that because i tipped my hat to that gi doc that's amazing like i get so excited when doctors do that level of like preventative and that extra level of education and connecting them with resources that they may need later on down the road as whatever they're there for progresses or is being managed medically so like that is so good yeah. to be like included in those steps because i feel like sometimes we're we're not wasted but i feel like we could be better utilized when we're not just on the back end of things like after things have gone south like we should also be included on the front end for that education piece that preparation piece exactly my point yes yes
2: it was a really functional situation and we actually felt like we were helping even you know, at the perfect time before we would traditionally be able to help the patient.
0: Yeah, cool. That's so awesome. Okay. Well, okay. That of course leads me into my next question. And we haven't even started down this beautiful outline that you've prepared, but I'm not sure we would have gotten to this. I don't know. So I'm going to ask it now. And then I swear we're going to get on track. (laughs) My question is, how do you get connected with these With these contracts, like with uh, these arrangements, like with your GI dog, like I can imagine you'll probably go over what it looks like connecting and building a relationship with a skilled nursing facility and the staff there. So how did you get connected in these other settings?
1: So, yeah, I think that pretty much every contract that we've gotten has been through referral. Uh, We do a lot of direct marketing, but I think honestly most of what we actually, most of the contracts we actually get are through people that have heard of us indirectly. And that could be from the blog that we've done from just being very active in the New York and New Jersey area, you know, between the two of us, I think we work for like eight or nine different healthcare facilities, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in the New York and New Jersey area. So I think we're just very involved in that community. And so when somebody needs the service or somebody is interested in the service, people refer to us and we kind of walk them through the process.
0: Excellent, all right, good. I am finally ready to begin our outline. (laughs) Okay, so let's begin at the beginning now. Why do we need instrumental swallowing assessments? Wonderful. First, I just want to clarify, I don't, I don't remember if we did or not, but
2: fees is, we are, we run a mobile fees company and fees actually stands for flexible endoscopic evaluation of swallowing. So we end up inserting a teeny tiny three millimeter camera along the floor of the patient's nose so that we can overlook the swallowing. Uh, And so we can see if a patient aspirates or penetrates and the physiological circumstances associated with that and how we can help the patient with dysphagia management. So
0: that's what fees is. Okay, good. I think earlier in my introduction, I said flexible, and then you said fiber optic. So then I'm like, am I wrong? Does it go either way? You guys have to correct me if I do something wrong. That's your job. Your job here (laughs) is to keep me on the straight and narrow. So
2: the short answer is you are Okay flexible is the more generic term. Uh, fiber optic is a more specified term. And as some scopes have fiber optics and some do not. But generally speaking, it, it's, it's interchangeable.
0: Flexible is just more is more a generic term. Okay, second follow up question to that. If an SLP is doing fees, then they're probably using fiber optic They're Wait, would they or would they have something else? Oh, the rabbit hole! <laughs> yeah, it's a then. rabbit.
2: It's a rabbit hole. You could definitely, you know, do do. A lot of people need to do their research about it when they're interested in it, and you know, call your reps and everything. But yeah, so some scopes are, you know, digital chips. Some scopes are fiber optic. So there's a ton of different scopes on the market. So the general term is typically flexible endoscopic evaluation as well.
0: I did not know the can of worms I was opening there. I think,
1: they, I think they, used, <laughs> they used to be mostly fiber optic. That's when they created the term. So you're not incorrect. I mean, the first five or six years that I was a speech pathologist, that's the only term I ever heard. So the flexible is relatively new.
0: Oh, usually. I'm I'm surprised, like, <laughs> that I would know something new. <laughs> that's exciting. <laughs> Okay. Go ahead, okay. Let's hear it. Why do we need these instrumentals? Awesome.
2: Okay. So simply put, the bedside swallow evaluation is not comprehensive or accurate enough. In fact, Stephen Leader and Julian Espinosa in 2002, they did a study that said 70% of the time, we are actually over-diagnosing our patients with dysphagia. So we think about some of our typical patients in any setting, in acute care, subacute, long-term care, who we take a look at and we swear they're pocketing or we just know that they have a delayed swallow. These researchers were able to illustrate here that this just is not the case. And also some of the signs and symptoms of aspiration that we were taught to be hallmark characteristics are not, in fact, correlated with dysphagia at all. So things like runny nose, watery eyes, drop in O2 saturation, this is not indicative of aspiration. So these are the things that we need to be thinking about when making critical dysphagia management decisions, especially at the bedside. Because despite all of our educational efforts, no medical professional is skilled enough at making educated guesses on swallowing. So as if that's not enough to convince you why we need instrumental swallowing evaluations, Here is some more data for those who may be on the fence. So this study looked at a population of 1,000 patients with multiple neurological pathological diagnoses. The setting was acute primary care and rehabilitation hospitals. So the settings really ran the gamut with these 1,000 patients. So this study said that all of these patients were referred for modified barium swallow studies due to physician concern regarding swallow function. So 57% of these patients aspirated in the modified variant swallow study. Of those, the 57% is actually 573 patients. So of those 573 patients, 52% of them aspirated silently. Additionally, in patients with an acute CVA, silent aspiration occurs In 50% of the cases, that was found in 1988 by Horner. And then in 85, Dettelbach, he found that silent aspiration occurs in patients with tracheostomies 75 to 92% of the time. So, I mean, those facts are astounding. And we just, you know, it actually scares me to think about how much of this we are missing at the bedside. Finally, these two pieces of information really sealed the deal for me when it came to proving the need for instrumentals. This is a very seminal study conducted by Miles et al. in 2018. In a study conducted by Miles, this is a direct quote, there was a higher prevalence of silent aspiration in thick fluids than thin fluids. The finding of inconsistent cough response to aspiration in some patients strongly encourages the use of instrumental assessment to guide decisions regarding diet modifications. So this study is just crazy to me. There were 180 inpatients in an acute care setting. All of them were referred for fees. Some of these survivors, they were survivors of stroke, TBI, cardiovascular critical care, respiratory illness and spinal injury. And it was found that in these populations, which these populations we see all the time, thicker fluids, thickened liquids were more likely to be silently aspirated. So again, that's pretty jarring when we look at our patient population. And so when you think of all of these facts and all of this data that I just spewed off, we tend to think, you know, what does ASHA have to say about this? This is a direct quote from their recently updated adult dysphagia practice portal, and it says, verification of aspiration and thorough assessment of impairments in swallowing physiology or laryngeal, pharyngeal, upper esophageal anatomy require instrumental assessment. So that is some pretty strong language, the word require.
0: For Ashley, yes. Yes,
2: yes. It makes me really happy and relieved to see that our national governing body has recently acknowledged the need for instrumental swallow studies in all settings of dysphagia management. So that was a huge win for for medical speech pathologists right there. We're really happy about that.
0: It's like, I want to, but I don't want to, but I want to. So I think I'm going to do it. Like why that was recently updated, because there was an ASHA leader article that got us all up in a tizzy. And we were like, uh, uh-uh, no, sir, no way. No. And so when I think this is also another beautiful illustration of how, you know, when a group of people who talk with each other, who read the literature, who talk about that with each other, who know best practice, and then can identify when that's not being upheld, and then hold our governing body accountable to that and bring the receipts in other words like this is the change that we can see is that for asher they will use that strongly worded language where they say requires Um, that may not sound like strongly worded language to i don't know most people but (laughs) that is for them that is really big Mm -hmm. that is huge that they would say like there's no if ands or buts. They're not like, well, maybe in these cases or sometimes or only if you have access to. They're like, no, no, no. Yeah. It is a requirement. It is a must. It is a have
2: to. I, you know, I think back to my CF and, you know, my earlier years as a speech pathologist. If I would have seen that Asha took that stance, I would have felt so much more empowered to make these decisions for my patients. You know, I at that point in my career, I really needed that empowerment and I really needed that Um, that governing body to acknowledge the existence and the importance of what we do. So yeah, I'm really happy for that change. It's so important. I feel like we should cite that article
0: that like started this little, well, okay. It didn't, I think it brought a growing need to a head and then we got a good result Mm -hmm. from the action taken. So it's cute. Okay. So, (laughs) All right. So we've established why we need instrumentals. Yes. Okay. So we haven't explicitly stated yet. So now's as good as time as any. When we talk about instrumental assessments, there are two. Yes, exactly. Why do we need fees as well as in addition to, instead of like all of the things from what most people probably know as our other option, Modified Barium Swallow Studies. Yes. So
2: I have a disclaimer here because I always feel the need to say that George and I both love Modified Barium Swallow Studies. We conduct them every day at our other clinical job sites. Both Modified Barium Swallow Studies and FEES are so needed, and they're both considered the gold standards of dysphagia assessment. We it Feasible, we just want everyone to have access to instrumentation. Whatever that instrumentation may be, uh, we just know that there's a huge need for fees because it is so mobile, particularly in the non-acute care. I mean, in both acute care and non-acute care settings. But yeah, we just want to advocate for our patients who don't necessarily have modified barium swallows so directly available in their setting.
1: It's hmm. funny you should ask that question because we our most recent blog post is. Answers that very question, at least from my point of view of kind of fees versus MBS. And, you know, when you might choose one or over the other, it's more my point of view and kind of my the patient populations that we see. And I might be a little bit biased because I run a mobile fees company, but I won't give anything away. If you did want to uh, take a look at that blog, we'll have all that information in the show notes, right, Leanne? Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: like I've not experienced it, but I hear it talked about by like proponents of fees that there is like this backlash against fees, but like I've never heard it like from people who don't use fees. I guess does that make sense? Yeah. Like I haven't heard people be like, "Oh, you can't trust fees; you just don't know what you're getting if you do a fees on somebody." <laughs> like, exactly. I don't know where this comes from. Like that, it's like that. There's this like one or the other, or that it's like, one has to be better than the other. And if you have one, you can't have the other, or you shouldn't have the other, or you don't need the other. Like, I don't understand that dichotomy. Like, it doesn't make sense.
2: I will say back in graduate school, I was taught that the only reason you would need a fees is to see vocal fold movement before and after swallowing. That's what I was taught. Wild. And I didn't I didn't graduate that long ago. Um, so I I will admit it, I was one of those people who I didn't even understand the remote possibilities that fees had. So it wasn't even it wasn't even in my mindset when I was a clinical fellow. I didn't care about it, didn't even think about it. It wasn't until I observed one at an ENT's office one time where I thought, Oh my, I have been missing out on so much clinical information. And I I can talk about it in a minute, but my world was absolutely rocked. And I will never not respect the modified barium swallow study. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It makes me so excited. (laughs) But we can also gain so much functional information from the fees as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoy following some different Instagram accounts that talk about for folks who have access to both in their facility. And so they make that decision, like as they're working with a patient, if they want to do one over the other, or if this is a patient where they actually need to do both of them for that patient, like one right after the other, not even like, oh, let's wait a day. And then we'll do this, you know, no, it's like, you need both because you're presenting with X, Y, Z. Like, I love reading that, like just clinical decision-making and like how they know what they're looking for and they aim to get out of using either of those studies. Like it's, it's so, so fun for me to read. Like, why am I such a No, absolutely. My,
2: my favorite work day is to be able to do a fees and a modified variance follow study on the same patient on the same day. That's my favorite thing to do. I love it. It's so
1: fun. And it is, I will say that's the minority of facilities that actually have access to both. You know, Allie is fortunate enough to have access to to both of those uh, instrumental studies in one of her hospitals. I do both MBS and fees, and I don't have access to both in any one facility. So I think it's very rare to have that choice. And there are benefits to one or the other, but I think just getting access at all is the bigger issue in our field than this whole fees versus MBS bumping their heads against each other. I think the more important thing is addressing this need for facilities with patients and residents that have gone months, if not years, of having their swallow studied in any kind of meaningful way.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you for getting us back on track, George. (laughs) That was much needed. George does
2: that (laughs) for me on a daily basis. (laughs) So... Yeah, so we can go back to the the question, which is why do we need FEES specifically? Mm -hmm. So FEES is unique in that it allows for the visualization of the vocal folds, the pharyngeal and laryngeal tissues, and the bilateral visualization of bolus flow. It has no time constraints. It has no exposure to radiation or barium. It can be used at the bedside. Or in a doctor's office, like we were saying. It can be conducted with customized or favorite foods, and it can be conducted with familiar and encouraging loved ones at the bedside, which is always, always encouraged. We love having families watch our studies. And then additionally, fees has a higher sensitivity to penetration and pharyngeal residue. Fees also is more sensitive to identifying the presence of goalless material in the pharynx and larynx in general. So if you've ever seen a FEES, you know that most of the time the picture is super clear and you're able to see these beautiful digital images of tissues, penetration, aspiration, and residue. So why do we need FEES? In summary, all of the different ways we can view bolus material and bolus flow and pathophysiology. It allows us to make comprehensive dysphagia treatment
0: plans For our patients in a really comfortable environment. Excellent. A lot of those points I think really help having the frame of reference about what they experience in a modified to be able to see like how that's different just kind of helps like for listeners being able to know what goes on for the patient in a video stroboscopy helps them to be able to compare like all those salient facts that you were talking about Allie. Um, but I don't feel like listing them or going through that.
1: So... Video stroboscopy or video fluoroscopy?
0: Did I say stroboscopy? We
1: did. And you also asked us to correct you, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was like what I was about to say was, thank you, just, George, because I'm glad you got that. I did mean video fluoroscopy.
1: I just didn't want to be in trouble. <laughs> Cause,
0: That's right. Because I would have listened to this later and be like, oh, I'm going to call him right now. He's going to get an earful. <laughs>
1: See, I'm proactive.
0: (laughs) That's right. Okay, so we clarified that. Are we good to move forward? Yes. Okay, good. I have so many questions about the financials related to fees. So I'm interested to see like what approach you're taking. Because I'm thinking like, what's the financial burden for the patient, for insurance, uh, for the facility? I don't know. Were you guys going to talk about it on your end, like as uh, like business owners like I didn't know where you were going with this but I'm very much here for it. Yes,
1: actually, that is where we were going. Uh oh, good. so so I wanted to first kind of just address the expense of dysphagia in general. We don't realize how much of an impact having dysphagia can have on your pocket. So there have actually been studies that have addressed this issue and they found that the hospital costs of a patient with dysphagia were over $4,000 higher than patients without dysphagia. And the annual healthcare costs in the community for a patient with dysphagia is over $7,000 higher than those without dysphagia. So it's really expensive to have dysphagia, and it's much more expensive to have it when it's incorrectly or inappropriately managed. We already understand there are many different ways to manage dysphagia. Thickening liquids seems to be one of the sort of our go-to for better or for worse. And um, we're sticking with the the financial topic here. We should just be aware that it's not a cost saver to use thickened liquids. For example, the cost to keep just one resident on thickened liquids for a year will cost your facility upwards of $7,000. And keeping a patient NPO is not the answer either. For example, a study showed that one year of hospital costs were over $2,000 higher in nursing home residents with a feeding tube. And those with a feeding tube were more likely to spend time in the ICU, which is the most expensive area that you could have a hospital stay in. And further. There are multiple conditions that are associated with dysphagia that can ultimately lead to a rehospitalization. So, you know, studies show that there are basically five conditions. Uh, this one study, Donald and McCollin, two thousand six, found these five conditions associated with dysphagia. They include CHF, respiratory infection, UTIs, sepsis, and electrolyte imbalance. These account for almost eighty percent of all 30-day sniff rehospitalizations and they are all associated with dysphagia. If you think about sort of all of these expenses and a lot of these expenses the the facilities that we work in are going to be taking a big hit for these expenses. It makes the expense of an instrumental swallow study really not that crazy anymore. A modified barium swallow study for example costs about $2000. It doesn't really seem too steep when you talk about the thousands and thousands of dollars of mismanaged dysphagia. So we'll compare now modified barium swallow studies to fees. Yes, Leanne, you've been waiting for this all night. And the cost of a fees is about a quarter of the price of an MBS. So if a modified barium swallow study is around $2,000, and that includes everything, including transportation, uh, fees usually runs uh, around four dollars to $500. So the point being that we really do sort of need to be aware of the financials in our facility. You know, it's obviously our number one role and our number one goal is to allocate for Uh, the resources for clinical care. But we also have to be aware of how certain initiatives affect our facility uh, from a financial standpoint, because they ultimately have to keep the lights on, right? And any kind of project or initiative that we want to push forward is going to be questioned from a financial standpoint by the administrators. And so sort of understanding these financials, uh, while it's not traditionally part of our job, It is sort of part of our job to understand the financial health of our institutions and how we can best care for our patients and also, you know, be reasonable from a financial standpoint. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. When you want things from administration, you have to speak their language. And oftentimes their language begins with dollar signs. Like... At the end of the day, they are operating a business. And like you said, they have to keep their lights on. It has to make financial sense to them. And when that aligns with what is best for the patient and taking care of their needs, then the stars have truly aligned. And you need to take advantage of that. (laughs) So do that, people. Do that.
2: (laughs) We want to be good financial stewards, not just for our patients, but for the buildings as well, right? Because they house our patients and you know the the better the buildings do the i mean unfortunately sometimes the better the better care the better staffing ratios the better food our our patients might get so i think it would behoove us to be more aware of the financials and therefore better stewards of our buildings allotments mm
0: mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about like the behind the scenes with fees and cost. We've talked about the need, the role that they play in our in our work and our practice. But let's think about it from like the patient perspective. You introduce the idea to them that they're going to have a swallow assessment and that you are going to be inserting a tube through their nose. Like they may not be keen on that. They may have questions. So like... How do you kind of address that with patients when they're asking, is fees safe? And, and is fees safe in the era of a COVID
1: pandemic? Those are great questions and valid concerns. Fortunately, fees is completely safe. It is widely considered to be a low risk procedure by medical professionals Um, And as far as COVID specifically, you know, right when the pandemic started last year, a lot of people were very fearful of any kind of procedure. Anything, you know, and everything sort of scared us because we didn't really understand the disease process and how it spread at that time. So the big concern, right in the very beginning were something called aerosolized generating procedures, otherwise called AGPs. And the concern here is that any kind of procedure that basically disrupts your mucosa, specifically that in the mouth, uh, nose, and throat could be sending droplets into the air and the aerosolized uh, part of those droplets could end up staying in the air for hours, which is why we are still wearing N95s with our patients and not regular surgical masks, because there still is a chance that we could be breathing in these aerosols hours after a patient has sneezed or coughed. The good news for fees is that the American Academy of Otolaryngology and Head and Neck Surgery took a position statement last year and stated that, quote, nasal endoscopy and flexible nasal laryngoscopy in and of itself are presumably not aerosolized generating procedures. To date, there is no definitive evidence of transmission associated with specific otolaryngolic procedures. So there are a few reasons why this is, you know, intuitively we think, yes, we're putting a tube in the nose and throat where the viral load tends to be the highest in patients with COVID-19 and other diseases. But the fact of the matter is, the patients are going to be coughing and sneezing and going through many other procedures throughout the day where there will be um, droplets going into the air. So it's not just fees. And when we do a fees, standard practice is to wear appropriate PPE, including an N ninety-five mask, a face shield, and a gown. And this is all to protect ourselves against the patient and the patient from ourselves. So excuse me.
2: Throat clearing could be an AGP, you know?
1: (laughs) Yes. When we are doing these procedures, we're being extra, extra safe. We're doing all of the things that the CDC is recommending and we're making sure that nothing is transferred from person to person. Not to mention your standard swallow evaluation is going to pose the same risks that a fees might because people say, you know, we're giving them food and liquid and they're, they may be coughing or aspirating on that food and liquid, which may cause um, droplets to enter the air. The other side of this argument is that in any kind of standard bedside swallow evaluation, we're doing the same thing, but blindly. So with a FEES, you have direct visual on what and where the consistencies are going and what would pose the most risk for the patient so that we can manage that much better than doing this completely blind. The other concerns that people bring up are, you know, there are basically three main side effects of FEES, and they include um, epistaxis, which is nosebleeding a vasovagal syncope, which is fainting, and a laryngospasm, a tightening of the vocal folds. So studies show that these three things are incredibly rare. They're close to 0.1%, so close to 0%. And those cases actually all resolved spontaneously on their own. You know, they've studied stroke patients, and many of these patients have been on anticoagulants and you know in a certain study that that followed 300 acute stroke patients no epistaxis no change in mental status no laryngospasm no bradycardia and no tachycardia was seen and you know people also of course have the concern about comfort level yes the we are sticking a camera in your nose and into your throat so there's going to be some level of discomfort We are as clear and forthright about that as possible, and we're educating patients on the procedure. Both Allie and myself have had this procedure done to ourselves countless times, with helping people train, and that—that's we're having it done by people that have never done this before. So you can imagine how uncomfortable that is. (laughs) Um, But you know, at the end of the day, I would still call it mildly uncomfortable. And studies show that most people do actually find it mildly uncomfortable. So actually, there's a study in 2003 by Cohen that basically they laid out, you know, was the procedure mildly uncomfortable, moderately. Most people said mildly. Very few thought it was severely uncomfortable. But the most important takeaway from that study was that 98% of those patients stated that they would repeat the test in the future. And, you know, this makes sense. There are many procedures in healthcare that are extremely uncomfortable, but they are done for a reason. And if they have the intended consequence of finding information out about the patient's swallow, And providing information, education, strategies, and recommendations that ultimately make the person's life better and healthier and safer, then most likely it would be worth it. So,
0: like all this talk about instrumentals, and we've talked about how there's two, right? We've talked a lot (laughs) about how there's two. (laughs) At any of your facilities, has there been talk moving in the direction very, very slowly? but slowly emerging about the importance of manometry on like understanding swallow function and how it impacts um, like the region that we specialize in. Since it's essentially like a study of the pressures of the esophagus, which is like, what clearly we don't treat because you don't (laughs) don't do behavioral therapy on the esophagus. Um, But like, I'm wondering like at any of the places that you've worked, if they've been talking about that and how that impacts swallow function at all.
1: No, not really. To be honest with you, Ali, I don't know if you've found.
2: No, I can only say from personal experience that I have family. A lot of them have esophageal dysphagia. We have crazy case histories in my family, and it's so interesting how you know I tell my own immediate family members to go to their primary care physician and ask for you know a GI consult for you know some manometry studies and. These primary care physicians, at least where my parents live, a lot of them don't have the information that they need to even make that referral. So I think a lot of education needs to be done about the importance of monometry. I don't think, at least in my experience, I don't think we're there just yet, but I see advocacy on the horizon. We all know how important that is a speech pathologist.
0: Okay, cool. Good. I was just curious. All right. So We have made it to our final bullet point. Y'all have a four-step guide on how to get fees in a facility. Yes. Four steps. That sounds very easy.
1: (laughs) Reasonable enough.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So easy.
2: But you guys can make that determination for yourself. So a ton of really crucial background information was provided here tonight about the need for fees and how fees is. You know, relatively comfortable and economical choice for our patients. But this here is the nitty gritty, and it's how George has advocated fees in his facilities and how I was able to ultimately advocate for fee services in a statewide nursing home conglomerate. So without further ado, here is our four-step guide to advocating for fees in your facility. So the first step is to build relationships advocate for SLP services in your facility. You want to be the go-to expert to whom everybody refers for dysphagia. You want to host student observers, attend monthly weight loss meetings with the registered dietitian. You maybe want to start a support group for family members or patients. Starting in-services is a great idea. So some of these helpful ideas for in-services would be that June is Dysphagia Awareness Month, so one June, I every Friday, I conducted a dysphagia in-service with IDSI Flow testing. So you know, Friday was uh, level four puree. The next Friday was level five. So that was fun, and that got people really interested in not only dysphagia, but you know, the different compensatory strategies and and how we manage it. Another dysphagia in-service could be common dysphagia myths. So like, hint hint. Thickened liquids aren't always safer. That's a fun fact that everybody should know. And then also an in-service idea, safe feeding strategies and aspiration precautions. So I have a good friend. She's a speech pathologist in a skilled nursing facility. And every year she gets a volunteer PCA or CNA colleague, and she has the colleague be fed, reclined in a jerry chair. And it's all fun and games until that, you know, the colleague sits back up and she or he reports on, you know, how uncomfortable it was to be fed lying down in a chair. Uh, So, you know, getting people involved in, in dysphagia knowledge and how it affects our patient care, getting people as involved as possible will help you build those relationships within your facility. And then also a big one is to take a basic fees course. So you can offer to undergo fees as a course volunteer so that you know exactly what you might be asking your patients to do. So a pro tip, George mentioned that oftentimes when we are scoped, when he and I are scoped, it's by people who have never scoped before. So our pro tip is to ask to be scoped by an expert first so that you can see the skill of an experienced endoscopist before you go and, you know, make decisions about, fees being appropriate or not appropriate for your patients. Yeah. 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 Can see
0: that being very important <laughs> exactly. Way.
2: So that is um, three ways for building relationships within your facility. So step two would be to prove the need for fees. So this is how I went about it um, back in the day with one of my buildings. So I composed a working document regarding how many patients on my caseload would benefit from fees and why. So I had the number of patients and then the rationale, of course. So some of the rationale included, you know, this patient is status post trait placement. This patient would benefit from secretion management assessment, assessment of laryngeal tissues and function. Um, I wanted to make sure that I communicated that I wanted to keep my patients out of the hospital and comfortable in his or her own environment. We did allude to this before, but part of proving the need for fees is keeping in mind that the director of rehab and the SNP administrator and the medical director, they all have both clinical and financial interest in providing the best care for our patients. So like Leanne said before, we have to speak both languages to, to make our needs known for our patients. And so we must keep this document anywhere from a few weeks to a few months. Often an administrator will not approve of financial expenses if he or she is not provided with at least one quarter's worth or about three months worth of information or proof of proof of need. So the funny story here is I (laughs) took about two weeks worth of documentation way back in the day when I wanted to get fees in my building. And it was, I thought it was amazing. I had such a huge sample size. There were 20 patients within two weeks who definitely needed a fees. And so I, you know, marched myself over to my administrator's office and he was so kind, but I mean he definitely laughed at my face. And he said, <laughs> Ali, you know, this is wonderful, but this these are 20 patients. This is not a representative sample of our need as a facility in an entire fiscal year. You know, you're gonna have to do better than that. So I kept the document for about three months and there were over a hundred patients on there who would have benefited from fees. So after that was when the the SNP administrator, who I very much respected and liked, that was when he started to take the need for fees seriously in my building at the time. So that's step two, proving the need for fees.
1: And then we have step three, which is making the right connections. So... It's incredibly important to make connections and relationships with everybody that we work with. I think that as speech pathologists in healthcare, we all understand the value of being able to work in an interdisciplinary team and the clinical benefits that that has for the patient. But this also works for your medical director, for your rehab director, and for your SNF administrator. Take some time to understand these individuals because they really are the decision makers in your facility when it comes to implementing any kind of initiative you may have, including mobile fees. So we do sort of have to understand how to speak their language. We have to understand what their wants are, what their needs are as professionals, and sort of what their opinions and perspectives are. And so the more that we understand about what they do and why they do it, the easier it is going to be to make a case for um, implementing a new policy. We did include two appendices at the end of this slide deck. One is, has a bunch of resources and references for speaking to your medical director. So these would be mostly clinical benefits of um, getting mobile fees in your facility. And then we have an appendix that's dedicated to financial references for communicating to your SNF administrator. And we do recommend that you come up with some sort of cost savings proposal. Now I know that probably sounds very intimidating for somebody that has uh, very little or no financial background, but it's incredibly simple. It's also referred to as a return on investment or an ROI. And all we're doing here is basically outlining the cost of an outpatient modified barium swallow study and comparing that to the cost of a fees. And there's a simple formula that we also have on the slide deck. It, includes getting the, like Ali said, the number of modified barium swallow studies that you completed in the, in the last quarter, multiplying that by the price of the outpatient MBS. Like we said before, that's about $2,000. So say you've done 10 MBSs in the last quarter, and each one is $2,000. So we're looking at $20,000. And from that, you subtract the number of potential fees you would have performed in that same time frame which should be about the same and you multiply that by your typical cost of a fees which is four or five hundred dollars so that would be four thousand dollars if we're multiplying it by that number of ten so you subtract the two which would be twenty thousand dollars minus four thousand dollars and you have a $16,000 cost savings per quarter, which would obviously only go up if you had more fees to complete or if your facility does modified barium swallow studies. So this is for making a case for a facility that already is sort of friendly to instrumental studies. You may have to make a case for instrumental studies in general and definitely use all the incredible information that Ali provided you with. That you know provides the benefits of doing an instrumental study, as well as the financial benefits of managing dysphagia effectively. So we are talking about uh, cost savings of literally thousands and thousands of dollars for your facility. And then we have step four, which is to schedule a mobile fees in service. Bring. Your gather up your administrator, any other stakeholders like the rehab director, uh, director of nursing, even your MDS nurse or social worker, and have them bring all their questions. And your local uh, fees provider will come in and answer those questions for you. We got into this business to to help patients. We have seen the value that it provides communities and facilities directly we know how difficult it is especially now getting modified barium swallow studies for your patients so we really do truly believe that mobile fees is a safe effective comfortable way and a very accurate alternative to the modified barium swallow study
0: all right four steps soups. Easy. <laughs> I love it. Well, you laid that out really well. And I appreciate you providing the PowerPoint that you mentioned that'll be in the show notes so people can access that and have a visual reference for the things that we talked about and be able to use those tools as they endeavor to advocate for instrumentals and fees. So we did it. We made it through the list with only like very, very little wandering on topic. <laughs> right, guys? We. <laughs> Totally on point the whole way. through. really good for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as we wrap up, what's that little nugget that you want to leave in our listeners' brains before they depart our time together?
2: I would like to say, so George and I always say we can't fix what we can't see. And I have to say every single time that I perform a fees, there's something that happens that is good. That I never ever would have imagined for that specific patient, you know. And when I say it's good, maybe it's just the findings of something that we had no idea what was going on. But, you know, now we know and now we're able to manage the patient's dysphagia. So you can't fix what you can't see, and your patients deserve to be seen.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I guess I, I encourage people to get excited about mobile fees because it really is exciting for a speech pathologist that maybe didn't have a lot of access from a personal standpoint to instrumental studies. This is an opportunity to bring the test to the patient. This has tons of financial benefits that we talked about, tons of benefits to the patient in terms of avoiding things like radiation, the discomfort of being upright in a wheelchair, sometimes for hours waiting for the test. But it also has benefits to the clinician because typically with a modified barium swallow study, you get sort of a one-page summary of what happened. Maybe you have some sort of relationship with the speech pathologist that did the MBS. Usually you don't. With a mobile fees provider, you know who they are. They are, You are in the room with them when they are completing the study. You have eyes on the same things that we have eyes on, and you help throughout the process. You tell us what they may or may not be capable of doing, what kind of strategies they can follow, what kind of consistencies they may or may not be willing to take. And having that kind of input is so much better for the patient. So not only do they have the comfort of being in their own bed and having loved ones by their side, but they have their trusted speech pathologist in there with them the whole time too. Only
0: because I'm such a dork, I feel like that's the number one selling point. I'm like the camaraderie that you can get because I I guess it depends on the size of the skilled nursing facility, but oftentimes they're like the lone SLP there and being able to have another SLP there and spitball ideas and have that camaraderie and that relationship building there is so helpful and important like clearly it has wonderful impacts for our patients but it does so much for our own practice as we learn from each other and like grow from shared knowledge exchanging like i love it in leanne's world that's like top of the list like best benefit ever <laughs> and that's and that's my key takeaway love it. <laughs> All right. So if people want to learn more and seek out other resources that you have, you mentioned that you do a blog and you answer lots of questions and thoughts about fees and access and all of those things. Where can people find you and connect?
1: So our website is FeasibleSwallowSolutions.com. That'll be in the show notes as well. On that website, we have our blog. It's called The Scope. You can also reach me directly at George at com, And I should specify that feasible is spelled incorrectly on purpose, on purpose, F-E-E-S, feasible, so that you don't make that mistake.
0: <laughs> when y'all were talking about the name of your company and all these things, I was like, okay, who came up with it? Because I <laughs> love
1: it. Yes,
0: sure.
1: So cute. Yes, I, but George
0: thought of this years ago,
2: right?
1: Yeah, you know what? I even before I was a dad, I knew really well how to make dad jokes. But <laughs> I think that just like being cheesy is just a part of who I am, and I was like, oh, we should totally do like a pun in our name. Love it.
0: Very nice. I mean, I appreciate
1: it. (laughs) I'm glad you do.
2: Allie, anything to add? I think all is well here. I'm so excited that we were able to come on tonight and talk to you, Leanne. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you both
0: for joining me tonight. I really enjoyed it. Like clearly we're chatting now for like over an hour. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) This is one of our longer episodes, but you brought so much good information. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you,
1: Leanne. The pleasure was really all ours. You're an excellent host and we appreciate you forcing us to go off topic and it made it more fun, really.
0: Yes. Good, good. I like fun. (laughs) Surprising people with surprise questions. (laughs) (laughs) All right, just to wrap up then, as a reminder, the show notes will have links to all the materials that George and Allie have talked about in the discussion guide, which is your opportunity to gather together with other SLPs, which I am clearly a hardcore fan of, and talking shop. So talking about what we talked about, laughing at all the things I mispronounced or got totally wrong, which this time George was kind enough to clarify for me. Most of my guests just let me fall on that sword and just are like, that's just, we ain't going to be Leanne over there. Thanks for helping a sister out, George. Appreciate it. So however you guys choose to use your tabletop time going over the discussion guide, enjoy it. It's a collaborative. So you can either laugh at Leanne or talk about the episode. Let's see, other reminders. You could always leave a thoughtful review on Apple Podcasts. What else do I say at the end of these episodes? (laughs) That's all I can think think of. So, yeah, we covered it. All right. So, I want everyone to go out and nourish and flourish and be awesome.